If you're under the age of 12, or 17, whatever, under the age of 27, how's that? Everyone under the age of 27. No, no. no. Sweetie, love you. You already publicly announced that. You're a little bit more than that. Anyway, if we have anybody that wants to come forward, if not, that's cool. I can press on. I just don't see any lights on in there. They're all sleeping or uh, they're playing hide and seek or something. Hello, guys. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I am going to stay back here. As I shared with your moms and dads earlier, that Pastor Bob has got a little bit of a cough this morning, and so I want to stay far enough away from you. So I don't want you to think I'm being disrespectful and not coming up to you, but I wanted to, uh, to honor you and respect you by staying a little bit far away because I have a little bit of a cough this morning. Um, how many of you guys know what a shofar is? Have you ever heard the term shofar? Have you ever heard the term trumpet? Yeah. What's a trumpet? A it's a what? It's, a, uh, it's an instrument, yeah. It's kind of like Miss Natalie's French horn, only it's got less curves and it has a higher pitch. And it kind of sounds like like that, right? And when people blow a trumpet, or in some cases, we also have bugles. Bugles are, are like trumpets, they just don't have the valves. And when you blow a trumpet or a bugle, uh, sometimes it can be to make music, but sometimes it can actually be to get somebody's attention. When you're in the military, uh, or, 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 or yeah, in the military, they use trumpets a lot of times to do signals. Like when a, when a, a high-ranking officer comes in, a general who has, a, who has multiple stars, the general is honored by a trumpet call that they they play depending on how many stars that person has. Or sometimes they wake people up in the morning by playing what's called reveille. And that's how you that's what they do. They do different kinds of calls so that you can so that the army will know what they're supposed to do. Well, in the Bible. There is, a talk, there is talk about the trumpet. And God instructed the leaders of the people of Israel to at times blow trumpets so that the people would know that they had to come and, and get together. That God wanted them to gather around because he had a word he wanted to share with them through the leaders. So there were times when the trumpet would sound, and then all of the people would come running. But see, we have trumpets that are made out of metal, and they have all the valves and stuff. Back then, back in the time of the Bible, they didn't have that kind of stuff, because they didn't have the ability to make things like that. So they made trumpets, or shofars, out of animal horns. And that's what this is. This is a hollow, can you see it's got a hole in it? This is an animal horn, and it's called a, a shofar. There's a tiny little hole here in the front in the, where my mouth goes. And then there's the big hole back here. This is like the bell on the on Miss um, Natalie's uh, French horn. And I'm not very good, but I'm going to try. You see the picture of the man in the, on the screen up here? He's blowing a shofar. And what you have to do is you have to make your lips really, really tight. Mm -hmm. And you have to put them up against this hole. 
and then try to blow really hard and some noise comes out of here. So we're gonna try, I don't know how successful I'm gonna be, and I hope I don't spit my cough drop out. <laughs> what a shofar is, and this is what they used to use in the Bible. When you see in the Bible it says the trumpet sounded, that's what it was. So whenever the people would hear the trumpet sound, the, tr the shofar, that wasn't as good, it wasn't. That's because my, my lips are just not as strong as Miss Natalie's. Or Miss Tanya's, because Miss Tanya blows a reed instrument, and hers, she has to do her lips a certain way too, and it's I just did it so far out of practice. But I want to read you a story. It's not really a story. It's just an instruction from the Bible that talks about when God is going to next have a trumpet blow. And this is it. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, that you may not grieve like others who, who don't have any hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and then was resurrected, was rose again, even though Jesus, even excuse me, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will not raise up to be with God before those who have already died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And those who have died who were Christians will rise first. And then we who are still alive, who are left on the earth, we will rise up and be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Encourage each other with these words. You see, the Bible teaches us that when we die, we don't just stop being, we actually get to go and be with God. And at some point in the, in the future, God the Father is going to say, all right, bring all my children home. And somebody, the Bible doesn't tell us who, they just say it's the trumpet of God. We don't know if it's Jesus himself that's going to blow the trumpet, or if it's going to be an archangel, or if it's going to be just one of the other angels. But somebody is going to grab a trumpet when God says to and go, and we're going to hear it, and we're going to go be with God. And that is so exciting to me, and so cool. And we are told that if you die before that happens, you get to go too. But if you're still on the earth, all of us are going to hear that trumpet sound and know that it's time for us to go be with God. Wouldn't that be cool to be alive, even right now, and all of a sudden hear this, and go, it's time, and then just, and fly up into the air and be with God? That would be so cool. I don't know how it's going to happen. I just know that the Bible says it is going to happen. And it is a hope that we have, that someday we're going to hear that shofar blow, and we're going to know that God is saying, it's time, everything's ready, come on, I've got a party planned, and we're going to go be with God. I'm excited for that day. And I hope someday you guys get to hear that too. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray you would bless these kids. And I pray, Father, that they would 
come to understand the hope that we have, that we are listening for your voice, and we are listening for that shout, and we are listening for that trumpet, so that one day we can be with you, God. We give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. You can go ahead and sit back with your folks or go back to that room if you I do. 
but awaiting the resurrection, what does that mean? And, and I, I chewed on that. And I thought, what is it that I believe? Well, going back to some of the basics of what I believe in, and I, I, we're not going to read through it, but I do want you to open it up. So in the pew rack in front of you, you will see a hymnal that says, Sing to the Lord. And if you open it up just from the very beginning, each page is numbered. And it, in other words, each song or, or reading is numbered. And we're going to turn to reading number eight. It's called the Apostles' Creed. What do we believe? This is an ancient statement of belief. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. But up in the top, up in the top section is the latter part of the Apostles' Creed. And I want to read that last paragraph. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church Universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So, ancient Christianity believed in the resurrection of the body. Now, I believe, I, I, I've said it my whole life, uh, once, I, once I came into faith in Christ, that God uh, sent His Son to the earth. Jesus was crucified on a cross. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. He was in the tomb for three days. And on the third day, God the Father raised Him to life. And then God ascended Jesus to, the, to heaven, and Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. All of these things I believe. But then I go into this last paragraph, and it says, these are the things I believe about the church. I believe that we are all one body of Christ. We are all universally members of the, of the same. We're not individual churches. We are all the church of God. I believe in the communion of saints, which means... We have fellowship with each other. And this actually, this statement actually talks about the idea that even those who are already asleep in the Lord, who are already dead in the Lord, we are in fellowship with them. Now, I don't pray to saints yet, understand that. We've talked about this in the past. But, but the reality is, is that we are all one body. We are all one fellowship. I believe that we can experience forgiveness for our sins. I believe that we will have life everlasting. But this statement says, I believe in the resurrection of the body. What in the world do I really believe about that? Now turn a few more pages to number 14. And you go to the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed was crafted in around the year 320-something or other. And it is a, a, a deeper, richer, fuller statement of the original Apostles' Creed. Uh, and we don't need to get into the history of that. But if you go up again to the top of page 15, to this section talking about the church, it says, the last paragraph, I believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So there's two statements, one from the Apostles' Creed, one from the Nicene Creed, that I've owned for years and years and years. I believe, or I'm looking forward to the resurrection of the body, I'm looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. What, what does that mean? What do I believe about that? It's easy to make that statement, but what is it that that means? And I looked through the Bible, trying to find verses that talk about the resurrection, or talk about life after death, and um, the one that was prominent in the Old Testament is Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Um, I'm going to go through just a few verses, I'm not going to have a whole long list, but Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, simply says, 
And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So even in the Old Testament, it talked about coming back after death. And it always talks about after that, then there being a, a judgment, if you will, of how you lived your life on the earth. But this idea of coming back to life, of being regenerated, if you will, or resurrected, if you will, Matthew, I mean, excuse me, the Gospel of John, Jesus himself said, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, here it is, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And then we read to the kids already, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talking about coming, this idea of going to join the Lord in the air, but the dead in Christ will rise first. But there's, there's, there's so much, and I don't have time this morning, I wish I had time. We could spend two or three Sundays talking about all of this, but I have to kind of truncate it. Um, there are some specific thoughts that I wanted to have. First of all, um, for you to just study later on, because again, we don't have time this morning to go into it. First Corinthians chapter 15, definitive chapter on resurrection. Mark that down, write it down, spend time this week looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are going to look at a few things in there this morning. Another section to look at is uh, Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. And then finally, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, specifically verse 8. So let's let's first of all talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um Chapter 15. I don't want to read through the whole thing because it's, it's, it's so lengthy. But let, let me just read just a little bit. It starts, the, the passage starts in verses 25 and following, almost to the very end of the chapter. Chapter 20, uh, 15, excuse me. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 13. 15, 13. Man, I'm struggling this morning. My brain is just going crazy. 1 Corinthians 15, 13. Thank you. Paul said in his argument for the resurrection, in talking about what, it, what the resurrection is and what it means to us and why it's important to us as Christians, he said in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And see, that's a basic tenet of our faith. You know, God raised the Son to life on the third day. And if, if we don't believe in resurrection, then not even Jesus was resurrected. He goes on further in that same chapter, just a few pages, a few verses later. If the dead have not been raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. Because you are still in your sins. 
Because it was the power of the resurrection that broke and canceled the power of death. And so this is an incredibly uh, vital and, 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 and base tenet, basic tenet of our faith. It is foundational. You don't believe in the resurrection, you can't call yourself a Christian. You don't believe in the resurrection, you might as well just stop coming to church. Because it literally says, your faith is useless, your faith is futile. He then also says, just a, a verse later, he said, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, if there is no resurrection, they're completely lost. There is no hope. And if, if, if we have only hope in Christ in this life, if there is nothing after this life, he said, Paul said, of all the people on the earth, we are the most to be paid. Because we've allowed ourselves to be duped. We put our, our hope and our faith and our trust in something that doesn't exist. So his argument to the church that he was talking to in Corinth, but also to us who are reading this today, is either you believe it or you don't. And if you don't, you might as well just give up everything. Because if there is no such thing as resurrection, then Jesus wasn't resurrected. The people that you have died who you hope someday to see again, you'll never see again. They're just lost. They're gone forever. And all you have is hope in this life? If that's all there is, what a cruel joke. You're to be pitied, he says. What he's arguing is through a negative argument. He's simply saying there is such a thing as a resurrection. And it is true. And it's foundational. And you have to own it. You have to own it. Then if you go down towards the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 and following, he says, I'm telling you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Nor can the perishable inherit the imperishable. I'm, I'm talking to you about a mystery. We're, we're not all going to die. We're not all going to sleep. But we will all be changed in a, in, in a moment, in, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last shofar, the last trumpet, because the trumpet is going to sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and then we will be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortal to immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Then he says, My beloved, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Again, this belief in resurrection is foundational. What does it mean? It means every person, every human being who has ever died or who will die will be raised to new life. But Paul went further in his explanation and said, you will no longer be a mortal being, you will be an immortal being. And something about the body that you're going to be in will no longer be subject to illness, disease, death, destruction. There, it will be imperishable. It cannot die. Now, we're not given any instructions about anything further than that. 
They didn't know cellular structure, molecular structure, atomic structure. They can't even address any of that in the Bible because they didn't have that, that science advanced at that point. But what Paul was saying in, in their, to their minds and to their culture was there is going to be something that changes. And it's going to even happen to those of us who haven't died. And he said, in the twinkling of an eye, something's going to change. I can't explain it. I can't tell you what it's going to look like, but know that it is going to happen. That's why I said to the kids, won't it be cool when we hear that trumpet that we get to fly up? How do I say that? Jesus got to. When Jesus ascended to the Father, what did he do? He literally floated up into the air until the clouds covered him. That's what the scriptures tell us. And if I'm going to have a body similar to what Jesus has, does that mean I can fly too? Does that mean I get to defy going through, I mean, I can be able to go through walls? That Jesus, if you remember in the end of John, chapter 19 and 20, the disciples were in locked rooms, the doors were locked, and Jesus just came into the room. Poof. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, you could just go, poof, I'm here. Of course, nobody would think it was crazy because everyone wouldn't do it. So, I mean, I, we don't know. We're not given that information in the scriptures, but we do know that something is going to be different about us. For sure, whatever this is that's going to house us will no longer be sick. It'll no longer die. It'll no longer decay. I hope the wrinkles go away. I hope the fat goes away. I hope the arthritis goes away before I get locked into whatever this imperishable, unchangeable thing is. I think so. I think I will. <laughs> but I think we'll still be able to tell who each other is. You know what I mean? I think we'll be able to recognize each other because although they couldn't, they didn't immediately recognize Jesus when he first appeared to them, they did ultimately recognize him because he had the scars in his hand, remember, and the scar in his side. So something about his body stayed the same and stayed recognizable, and I would think the same will be there for us. So if you don't like your nose too bad, I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I'm not giving, we're not given that. Now, one of the other things, and this is, this, this is something else that was really hard for me, um, and I even, I even had to look it up. I, I was trying to find it in the Bible. I was trying to find it in commentary, and I wasn't finding what I was looking for. I was like, well, I'm going to just Google it, because it'll be there. And so I Googled it, and it pointed me right back to the verses that I was looking at, but it was like, but that's not saying what I think it says. And this is it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's the verse. We would rather be, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He said, we're of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I've always tried to quote that verse. To be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The question comes, when I die... And there's a period of time on the earth still going on until that trumpet sounds, that loud shout out of heaven, calling forth all of the 
people out of their graves to be translated into their resurrected bodies, where am I? What's going on? Am I with God? Am I in a soul sleep? Some scholars say that that's it. We just kind of, when we die, the next conscious thought we have, our conscious awareness we have is when we're with the Lord and we have no consciousness of what's going on in between those times. We don't know. Nobody has ever come back to tell us. And Jesus came back, but he didn't tell us, so we don't know. But, but the reality is this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, is what caused that confusion. Paul said, I would rather be away from the body and present with the Lord. He did not say, when I get out of this body, I'm immediately present with the Lord. However, if you look at Luke chapter 23, Jesus is on the cross. And there are two people also on crosses on either side of him. And it says, one of the criminals who was hanging on... on uh, next to Jesus, began to rail at Jesus, saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other person rebuked the first person and said, don't you fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for are we receiving what was due reward for our deeds? But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And this guy said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to that man, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, you will be with me in my Father's throne room. He didn't say, you will be with me on the new earth or in the new heaven. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. What does that mean? And I will tell you, ancient scholars, even before the time of Christ, who were Jewish in their, in their theology, they taught that there were two places in the underworld where the dead were kept. Where Hades, if you, that's a Greek term, but Sheol was the, was the term for the, for in, in, for the, in the Hebrew mindset. And one place was the place of the people who didn't have a relationship with God and who were quote-unquote damned. The others were those who were in the place where they knew God and were in right relationship with God, but they weren't in heaven yet. Now, if you look at Jesus' teaching, there comes a, a point in Jesus' own ministry on the earth where he talks about the rich man and Lazarus. Do you remember that parable that he talks about? Now, it's a parable. We have no idea that it really was ever a rich man and a man named Lazarus. But he says in this parable that the rich man, who had lived selfishly his whole life and didn't want to, didn't care about anybody else but himself, died, and he was carried into the place of the damned, if you will. And, and Lazarus was carried into the quote-unquote bosom of Abraham, or paradise. And there's a conversation that takes place between this rich man who's in the place of the damned and Abraham who's over in paradise. And the rich man says, please, please send Lazarus over just to dip his finger in water and cool this burning tongue of mine. And Abraham says to the man, I would that I could, but I can't. Because there is a great chasm that has been placed between the two places that we are in. And then the rich man said, well, at least send somebody back to talk to my brothers so that they don't end up here. And again, Abraham said, 
your brothers have the same information that you had available to them. They have the, 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 the prophets and the word of God. And so they need to listen to that. And he said, no, no, they'll listen if somebody comes back from the dead. And Abraham said, no, nobody will believe. Even if somebody comes back from the dead, nobody will believe. They have the word of God. They need to take it for what it's worth. So this teaching of Jesus speaks about a place after death where there is housed the souls, if you will, of those who are not in right relationship with God and those who are in right relationship with God. And they are separated by some form of chasm or, or separation. I can't explain any of that. I've never been to any of that. I don't know anybody who has. But I can tell you that it was part of the theology prior to Christ. Christ talked about it in his own teaching. And on the day of his death, as he hung on the cross, he said to the, to the man who was honoring him, Today, you and I will go here. So, all I can tell you, in my thought, and I, I have as much information available to me as you do to you, especially with the advent of the internet. My understanding is, is that when I die, I don't cease. My understanding is, is that, that my soul, my spirit, separates from this physical body. And it is held someplace. I want to call it paradise. It is not heaven yet, the heaven that we think about in the after the you know after God has the new heavens and the new earth and the mansions and all that, that that's not what we're talking about. But there's a place where all of the people who are righteous go until the time of the resurrection that Jesus talked about, that Daniel talked about. The time is going to come when the Father is going to say, It's time, the archangel's going to shout, somebody's going to blow a trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are left on the earth will rise to join them and be with the Lord and ever be with the Lord. So there will be a resurrection. But it also says that these people who are in this dark place will also be raised. And they will then be judged based on how they live their life. These people will be judged not because of how they live their life in the sense that whether or not they were sinners or not because they were already in right relationship with God. But these people will be evaluated what their ministry was on earth and how did they bring glory to God. And there will be a judgment in that way. So there's two separate judgments. But when we say as Christians, I look to the resurrection, I believe in the resurrection, and the Apostles' Creed says the resurrection of the body. Last thought, and I don't have an answer, but it's just something to think about. We today understand molecular structure, atomic structure, cellular structure. We understand that when something decays, it literally breaks down to the essential nutrients that it was. Right? And if there's a finite amount of mass, energy, etc. in this universe, how are Millions upon millions upon millions of people all going to have the same body resurrected. This is just something that I thought about. It's not something I can point to you in Scripture or anybody's teaching. But the reality is, I don't subscribe to the idea. This is Bob talking. Okay, I'm not saying this is Bible. This is Bob talking. The way I understand it, I can't say when the resurrection takes place, and I come back to go before the judgment before <coughs> that, that the body that I'm going to have is exactly this body. In my mind, 
the new body is given to me at that time. And that's something that God just creates. He can create a poof out of nothing. So some people think, and I, I just tell you what other people have taught me as, I, as I've grown up in the faith. Some people think that I'm going to come back like this. And then there's a judgment. And then poof, I get my new body. I personally think at the time of the resurrection, I get the new body, poof, from God. Out of thin air, God can create it however he wants. Those of us who are on the earth at the time of the call, poof, we will be changed after these others. And I'm giving you a lot to think about this morning, and I know I'm going to get a lot of email this week because I'm messing with your minds here. But I want you to think about this. As you're coming into this new year, what do you really believe? What is it that you truly believe? How can you communicate your faith to people? And one of the things that's foundational, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, foundational to our faith is the resurrection. What do you believe about it? How do you understand it? How do you communicate this? Because it is foundational to who we are as Christians. What's going to happen when that trumpet sounds? Where are you going to be? How does it work? If you can't articulate, and again, going back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, I believe it is, it says we're supposed to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, doing so with gentleness and respect. So if that's the case, if we're supposed to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, that means you have to be able to articulate what you believe. What do you believe? If somebody came up to you today and said, let's talk about this over lunch, what Pastor just talked about, would you be able to articulate what you understand about the resurrection? If you can't, you've got some homework. Now, I'm never going to come back and challenge you on it. That's between you. I will come back and challenge. No, but honestly, and I, and I would ask you to, if you have questions, if it doesn't make sense, if something you're stuck on something, contact me, call me, talk with each other. I am sharpening iron. But let's let's start to solidify what it is that we believe. I, I don't know that this is the path we're going to go on over the coming months, but I, I really believe one of the things that has been in my heart for almost 10 months now is we need to continually grow in our beliefs and in our faith and foundation of, of our of, of our. Of our uh, Theology, so that we can carefully and clearly articulate it to the people who don't know. And so if we can't have Sunday school, if we can't have Bible studies, I'll teach from here. So pray with me about how God would lead us, but this was the very first thing that I felt the new year we needed to do. Foundational work. What do we believe about the resurrection? And now that I've totally confused you, let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, I, 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 I feel awkward at this moment because it's really a, an, an uncomfortable way for me to do this. This is teaching than it was encouragement or, or, or in any way uplifting. But I really believe that this is what you wanted spoken. And so God, I pray that, that it would settle in on people and that they would really begin to chew on this and just, just really begin to understand. And I pray, Father, that you would guide us in the coming days and the coming weeks to really solidify what it is that we believe and what we understand about you and how you relate to us and who we are in you. Let it not just be words, but let it be deeply held, foundational, deeply rooted, so that when the waves come, when the winds come, when the storms come, we are rooted and anchored in our faith. And we know what we know what we know. And we know that you are real and genuine and true. So God bless us. Help us as we study. Help us as we learn. In Jesus' name.